Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today. And with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. That sound scared the crap out of me. I forgot that you had already put in the, the intro music. <laughs> and I was sitting here, 30 seconds of silence, be bopping around, then, and it took all that I had not to go, ah! It's nice having it. I know we talked about that last time. This is the second time I've done it. And it I makes forget. it nice because I can put silence before it to get our nice ground for editing our noise floor. And then we get to hear our own intro for once. And it's just, it's nice. It's a nice, refreshing way. Def- uh, refreshing for you, terrifying for me. But I'm ready. My heart's racing, ready to... I'll just point it out next time. Ready to roll. <laughs> Hopefully I remember next time. I think you. I'll remind you at least, if I remember to remind you. But yes, welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. We are a podcast all about... Board games, tabletop games, card games, RPGs, and things of that sort. We also like to drink beer on our podcast. However, we're doing something different today. We are having coffee. Yes, this is another non-alcoholic episode of the Malthouse Games Podcast. Delton has his cat dad mug, and I have my giant bulbous Hello Kitty mug that Delton hates. I hate it because it holds two-thirds of the French press, and it's impossible to fit comfortably in the dishwasher with all the other dishes. Like, all the cups and glasses can go in this nice orderly line, you know, nice and snug and tight next to each other. No problem. They don't bend the tines that stick up on the top rack. This stupid mug, I have a specific tine that is bent from this mug, so I always put it in the same spot since it has its little nestling hole. They're saying it's special, and it holds two-thirds of the French press. Now you all understand why I love this mug. Plus, it's Hello Kitty. It's a bane of my dishes chores we got a good life but we decided that we probably shouldn't drink beer on a saturday morning i mean we could but we like we started off pretty good today like we got up yeah we worked out we had breakfast burritos we did a little bit of cleaning and now here we are to greet you lovely people with a cup of coffee and some motivation to take on the day i'm very glad we don't have the racket today that we did yesterday for recording Mm -hmm. yesterday uh we had our roof replaced Finally, because in Oklahoma, we get hail. And if you, I feel like most people know what hail is, but some do not. If you don't know what hail is, it's literally circular, generally circular pieces of ice that fall from the sky and damage cars and roofs and windows and people. And it's never easy on anything. And our roof has taken hail damage storm after hail storm after hail storm. And finally, the last big one, we were like, okay, now we need to have someone come look at it and actually get this done. And we filed a claim, and it was approved. And so we have a new roof now, and it looks very nice. I went with a darker shade of charcoal, almost black, and it looks really good. I just remember, so it, I know for all of our Oklahoma listeners, having Delton explain what hail is, everybody's like, well, what the hail? Yeah, that's what hail is. But whenever I was in college, my roommate was from up north, and uh, I was at OSU in Student Union, and we had like a sudden like thunderstorm. Uh, hail came down like sonic ice looking hail. It's like the most Oklahoma thing to say. Sonic ice looking hail fell from the sky, but uh, it lasted like 45 seconds. And during this time, I get a phone call from her and she is frantic. She's like, Haley, where are you? I said, I'm at the student union. Why? She goes, there is ice falling from the sky. And I'm like, yeah, but she had never seen hail before and it scared her to death. And I felt so bad, but looking back, it was also hilarious. I was like, yep, that's hail. But I can see how that would be terrifying if you've never seen it before. If you've never seen it, it is because it hurts. You don't want to get out in it, and it will. It, like, my last car, 
uh, was totaled through insurance because the damage was higher value than the car was technically worth. And the week we got Delton's new car back in 2013, we drove in a hailstorm. Yep, that was fun. That was super fun. Tornadoes and all. Woo, was great. The weatherman said, drive south, drive south to Norman. We're like, all right. So we got on I-35 and drove south and went and got some Mexican food. And before we knew it, the tornado had made a hard left turn, was coming right at us. And we're like, shit. Hard right (laughs) turn, but yes. Hard right turn. Sentiment (laughs) stands. But that's been what's going on in our life, aside from working like usual, me playing far too much World of Warcraft. Y'all, I got bok choy seeds. First of all, I harvested all my lettuce. My lettuce was beautiful. It was my spring romaine lettuce, and it was getting a little hot, so some of the leaves are starting to burn on the edge. So I just harvested all of it, gave some to our number one fan, Allison, and gave some to my boss and my neighbor, and of course, we ate some. And my pepper plants are about a foot and a half tall, both my bell pepper and my jalapeno pepper. My pumpkins, I got little babe pumpkins. My squash is starting to get the buds where it looks like it's about to start flowering. My potatoes are about the size of marbles. And man, we are just going to have a product. And then I got bok choy seeds to try out. They're supposed to grow 30 to 45 days is all. And you can plant them up in Oklahoma in Zone 7 up to like the first week in June. So I got to get on it. But I'm going to have some bok choy and it's going to be great. It will be nice to have more fresh vegetables. I'm ready for the most for the potatoes. Because I love potatoes. Excited for potatoes. We eat way too many potatoes. And that's okay. We're going to have a self-sustaining potato ecosystem at the Twyman Brack household. Hopefully so, because I love potatoes. I'm really excited. Yeah. Well, since we're drinking coffee today, this is just Aldi coffee. I know we didn't talk just about it. Just Aldi coffee. It's no. just Aldi coffee. No, no, no. This is the organic whole bean Honduran coffee that costs five eighty-five at Aldi, which is like $1,000 in Aldi bucks. This that's is true. good stuff. And this coffee... Whenever you first brew it, it is so light and is it's almost a refreshing coffee. It doesn't have the bitterness unless you let it sit in the French press too long, Haley. When I brew it, it's nice and refreshing and light. When Haley brews it, it's like you're just drinking coffee grounds. So there is a difference here. That's why I have so much hair on my chest. I guess so, but it's good coffee. I mean, it's the problem with this coffee is I can't point out little things like it's not, you know what I mean? It tastes like coffee. It's hard for me to distinguish things within this coffee. So for me, it's like a smooth vanilla flavor on the tongue. Yeah. And then the aftertaste is, it's not really, it's, it's coffee, but it's a really light coffee aftertaste. Yeah. It is a little sweet on the aftertaste as well, even though we don't put anything in it. But it's very smooth and fresh and delightful. It's very, very good. But I wish I had some, and I don't, but I wanted to shout it out before we move past our coffee. I have been ordering sporadically uh, coffee from Golden Lantern Coffee Roasters from California. It's a very small operation. I think it might just be one or two people. Um, I heard about it through Misha Mansour on Facebook. He is a guitarist for a band, Periphery, that I really enjoy. He's been getting this coffee, and he showed a picture and said, hey, you know, I met these guys in person. They're super nice. Their coffee's really good. Try it out. Uh, a 12-ounce bag of whole bean is like $20, $21 delivered. They roast it before they ship it. And on the bottom of the bag, it has a, you know, brew by date. But very, very, very good coffee. We've had two different blends, both of which are very good, I think. And I want to try a lot more. They're coming out with a sampler backpack oh, where you gosh. get four different coffees and you only get so many ounces of each. So yes. you can try different ones. But I recommend 
Golden Lantern Coffee Roasters. I highly recommend them. It's probably the most complex coffee that I've tried. Like fla- flavor, flavor wise. Pl- profile wise. Yeah. Like you have, it's, you could do a tasting in that like we do a tasting of beer, which you can do that as well for this coffee. But there are so many different notes to pick up in the smell and the yeah. flavor and the finish. Their coffee is definitely craft. It's very craft. Yeah. Which is why we, we only buy it like once a month-ish. Yeah. At most because it's a little expensive. It's like Delton said, I think 20 bucks a bag, which is like $4,000 and Aldi money. Yes. So, yeah, but we highly recommend it if you want to splurge. It's very good. Well, now that we have the coffee in our bellies waking us up a bit and, you know, we after the workout, we had some energy, did some cleaning, got tired again. Now coffee going back up. We're going to do this podcast right. So let's move to the game. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... It's a game. So today, the game of the episode is Polis Fight for the Hegemony. Yes, I looked that up. It is hegemony. Not hegemony. Not hegemony. Not hegemony or hegemony, but hegemony. I still think it's hegemony. I just looked up the official pronunciation. But like... (laughs) And the accent is on the... In all the political science classes I I took, like it was always hegemony. Always. No matter the professor. Yeah, but you also went to a school that their mascot are the Aggies. No, it's not. <laughs> you don't even know my mascot. I know. It's the Cowboys. It's bad enough. I always call them the Aggies. Who are the Aggies, actually? Is that a Texas school? Yes. Yeah. There you go. Football. Woo. But still, it was one of those things where we don't use the word often, unless we didn't, because we didn't do a lot of politics. Uh, but I've heard it several different ways, never knew how it was pronounced, and it's hegemony. The J is the accent. Hegemony. Hegemony. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird word to pronounce. Anyway, Polis, fight for the hegemony. (laughs) Haley's just giving me a look right now. You can feel it, I'm sure. (laughs) So this game I've wanted for a long time because I'm a big fan of ancient Greece. Uh, This game essentially takes place during the Peloponnesian War, which is mainland Athens and the Athenian, used to be the Delian League. They call it the Athenian League, I believe versus Sparta. If I mess anything up, I'm sorry. It's been a long time since I've read and researched any of this. This is Sparta. This is Sparta. But this is Athens versus Sparta for the Peloponnesian War is essentially what it's about. Now, we picked this up at BGGCon in 2019 at the uh, bazaar where everybody's selling games. I was able to get a sealed-in plastic copy for, was it 20 bucks? I think it was 15. 15? I, I think it was 20, and then you said, it'll take 15. The guy's like, yeah. Yeah. Very excited because I've always wanted it and never wanted to spend the money on it. It was the guy that I made friends with whenever I was in the pitch car tournament and lost miserably. Oh, and we just that's right. just kind of hung out against the wall for a while. And he's like, yeah. Delton's like, you take 15? I was like, and he was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, it's great. So I finally got it, though, along with our other, all of our other games from the bazaar. Uh, it is a two-player only, I don't know if you would call it a war game. It's definitely a strategy game. And even though it evol- involves war, I feel like there's so little war happening. Right. At least for our first play. Like, we we had a battle once. I mean, it's area control. We didn't have a battle at all. Oh, we almost had a battle. We almost did, and you were like, oh, I misunderstood. And I was like, yes, that's fine. Let's redo. Yeah. (laughs) We we almost had a battle. It was a lot more. um, I'm going to take over this land and loot its resources and try to feed my people and make cool statues. Essentially, the way this game is going to function is one of you controls Athens and one of you controls Sparta. Each of you start with so many cities that are under your control, 
those cities have a starting population, and then you have so many hoplites, which are soldiers, in different regions on the board. Uh, you then send your hoplites around, uh, basically asking for goods from the different regions that you are part of. Asking. Yeah, asking, quote-unquote. Uh, I can't think of what the actual action's called. Collect tribute. So you collect tribute from the regions that you're in, um, if you hold a city and whatnot, and you can also send those hoplites out to take control of newer cities, or you can do a political takeover, which is where you're actually bribing people to switch sides, is how that's done. So you're going through, kind of fighting over these territories and cities, making hoplites so you can get resources and goods, and you're trying to come out with the most points at the end of the game, or just not be beaten outright like I was. So in the game, you're going to go through a series, a full game, of only four rounds, three in, in a starter game, which we did the starter game, but I lost at the end of it anyway, and it would have been the end of a four-round game. But each round is set up of my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn, until we both pass, which I felt was very unique in this game, and I wasn't expecting that, because most games have a limited turn number or a certain amount of workers to put out or something like that. And this is literally do everything that you want to do until you don't want to do anything, which yes. can be hard uh, because what I found in this game is it's very easy to overextend or overspend, which was what I did constantly. It's a metaphor for life. I think it is a metaphor for life. <laughs> uh, so in this game, there are also trade routes and you can have battles in the ocean. There's different sea territories. Uh, the trade routes that you can take allow you to sell goods for wheat or money. Basically in this game, the Athenian player starts off with more access to silver, but hardly any wheat. And the Spartan player starts off with more access to wheat and hardly any access to silver. Now, you must have wheat to feed all of your people, so it starts off with a bit of an imbalance, but the silver can actually help you get there in a different manner. So the Spartans are basically have an easier time making soldiers, where the Athenians have an easier... or I'm sorry, Spartans have an easier time feeding everybody, and making soldiers, and the Athenians have an easier time, or a harder time doing that, but like an easier time trading because they're positioning. And so it's sort of balanced in that manner on and the board. silver. You got an easier time getting silver. So yes, the Athenians have an easier time getting silver, and the Spartans have an easier time getting even more wheat. And so it keeps that balance in the game unless you attack, which is something, like I said, we didn't really get into. Uh, so the game's going to go back and forth taking those actions. On your turn, there's 12 total actions you can choose from, which is crazy. And most of them only require, like, you know, if you wanted to take a city, you just have to move your soldiers first. Nice and simple. Movement's really easy. So you move, and then you can take the city. On each of your turns, you can only ever do two actions, and they can't be the same. But once your turn's over, the opponent goes, then you go, then you can do whatever again. And it's back and forth until really the end of the game. There is a, an event card at the beginning of every round that can change stuff up, have you send off soldiers, do all kinds of things. But all in all, it's just a really back and forth. But one thing I really enjoyed about this game is I did enjoy the fact that you can do whatever you want on your turn. You don't feel limited by the rules of the game, like the, the turn order, or you don't feel limited by, you know, only have so many workers to use or only have so many actions. You're only limited by how good you've been at um, your efficiency in gathering resources, I feel like. Yes, I feel like it that as well. I also really like the game because I won. Is that the only reason you like the game? <laughs> no. That's the question. It's not. I really like the uh, the balance between area control and 
like collecting the resources because you can't just like say, I'll collect resources. You have to manage your resources so that way you have the the hoplites, you have the um what is it? Not honor, um Prestige. Prestige in order to like collect those things. If you don't have any prestige, you can't like go to a region and be like, Hey, give me resources. They're like, who are you? And so I really like that you have a set amount of prestige every turn that you have to earn each turn in order to take your turns. And you can't get more prestige very easily, just like you can't get much silver very easily. And so you're kind of limited. So you can't like take unlimited turns. That's true. Any action that essentially involves the military, moving your hoplites, making new hoplites, making new like uh, warships or moving those ships, starting any battles, asking for tribute, anything like that can't be done without prestige, like Haley said, because your army is not worth anything if you don't have prestige. So your military actions are very limited by how you earn prestige in the game, and you earn prestige by having high populations in your cities, and there's a couple other ways that you can earn prestige as well, but that all happens at the end of a round. So your prestige is kind of a counter for what you want to do, but it doesn't completely limit your turns, which is nice. You basically have the work with your war units or not. And so I really enjoyed the game. I liked it. It was very back and forth. Uh, there wasn't a lot of downtime except for the the very last uh, round of the game. Uh, I was able to take some more turns than what Delton could afford. But even then, it was probably, what, a minute and a half more that I was playing than you? Yeah, what's really neat is, uh, let's say we're in the first round of the game and I decide to call it quits and I pass. Once I pass and stop taking turns, Haley will take her normal two actions. Then... She can take any number of extra actions, but she must pay one extra resource, like one resource, to then do another action. So she takes her two. She wants to move some more hoplites. She has to pay, let's say she pays a wood. Then she wants to, you know, take over the city. Now she's got to pay uh, olive oil on top of that. She has to keep paying for resources. So you could just keep going to get ahead, but then you're losing those resources, which it's not too bad for the wheat and the olive oil and the wine, because all three of those get halved at the end of every round because you can't keep those kind of goods around forever. Yeah. And so I think that really plays into our strategy. I think so. I think so. Which we'll get to. Yeah, we will get to the strategy there. Spoiler alert. But it's pretty neat. Uh, I enjoyed the game. I thought it was pretty fun. Um, It's one of those that after playing it once, I go, oh, I see what I was doing wrong. And now I need to play it again so I can correct those mistakes and focus a little harder on what needs to be done. Yeah. And not overextending this game. Being that you can take so many actions on your turn, it is so unbelievably easy to just go, I'm going to go here and I'm going to go here. I'm going to take that and I'll take this over here and I'll spin this and I'll do this. And then pretty soon all your cities have one population and you have a ton of soldiers on the board, but they're doing nothing and there's not enough to get things. And it's, you just, you, it's very easy to overextend. And not to get too much into what will be the question of the episode, but like one of my strategies in this game was I just, all my resources that got cut in half, I just blew all of them every round. Like I, at most, I went into one at the end of every round um, because it was was half rounded up that you kept. And so I just blew through it. And I feel like that was helpful in keeping the momentum throughout. Like I, I relied on those more than, I was like, what can I do with my resources rather than my prestige or my silver? I feel like that was helpful for me. That is very helpful. That's something I tried to hang on to stuff periodically. And I didn't try so much to hang on to the perishables. I tried to keep like wood and metal up for a while. But even then, you're trying to do stuff. But yes, at the end of every round, you have to be able to feed the populations in your cities. 
So that's something to keep in mind, is you must have enough wheat. So when the Spartans start off not only with wheat, but they start off with easier access to wheat, and the Athenians start off with silver and easier access to silver, it makes it tough because getting wheat is very tough in this game and getting silver is very tough in this game. So it makes it hard because silver can be be used in place of almost everything, but nothing replaces wheat, which makes it just hard. I mean, you can use silver to buy wheat as a one-to-one, but it makes it tough because you have to feed your people. And if you can't feed your people, you start losing cities. And once you start losing cities, things get real rough because then you can't get tribute from those regions and it just does what happened to me and just everything crumbles around you. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I guess I completely missed on the credits for this game. I don't know why. It feels like it's been so long. Ugh, I'm a horrible podcast host. We have to quit. Podcast done. Boo. Last episode. <laughs> no, we still have episode 69 in a couple of weeks. That's true. A month. A month We're from a tomorrow. Month. All right, so Polis, Fight for the Hegemony, is concept and design by Fran Diaz, or Fran Diaz, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Graphic design, illustration, box design, rules, and editing are all by Merrick Rutkowski. The combat card illustrations are Walter Velez. Production, Mercury Games, Asylum Games. Texts, Fran Diaz, Ignacio Gongora. And then there's some people that did the English version, along with the Mercury Grant Games team. Bunch of play testing and the regular thanks. So one thing we didn't talk about was combat in this game. Combat's very simple. The two players have a war only when the total combined number of hoplites, which is the soldiers, in one region hits eight or higher in a turn. And what's pretty neat about this, and I'm going to explain this first, is the first round is actually called round three because each region can have no more than three hoplites from either side. You can have no more than three ships in any of your regions. Like, it limits everything. In the fourth round, the se- which is the second round that's marked number four, is the same way. And the third and uh, fourth round are marked as five alpha and five beta because that number goes up again. So you can't have combat in the first round of the game. However, the second round, you definitely can if everybody has four hoplites there. Now, the way combat works is if Haley's got four hoplites in, uh, let's say, mainland Athens, and I move in four hoplites as Sparta, then let's say we fight right there. What happens is we draw a number of cards equal to how many hoplites we have in that region. The attacker plays two cards. The defender tries to match the same type of card. Uh, There are some potential prestige points gain and one card that can lose you prestige points. And there's basically like a joker that is an instant defender win, and there's one card that's an instant attacker win, which is nice. Uh, The opponent tries to match those. If they can't, so let's say I play a card that's a phalanx and archers, and Haley plays a phalanx and cavalry as the defender. Well, since as the attacker, my archers were unblocked by other archers, then I win one, Haley removes a single hoplite, and then we both basically are going to draw cards up to how many we need and play again. So it's a very simple combat step. There are some prestige points that can be earned, but it's nothing complex, and you do it until the deck is gone or until all of one person's hoplites have been eliminated from that region. So it's actually a fairly simple process. I really do like that you can't go into combat until the second turn at, at the earliest. Yeah. Because, you know, this is a two-player game only. And so it's not like, you know, if you have a six-player game, you might have five people who have never played before and one person who has. Well, that one person can go after anybody. It is, or if you have five people who have played it before, one person who hasn't. This is a, if you come in with experience, then you 
it keeps you from going in and just attacking the other person. It, it gives the, the person who has no experience time to kind of get a feel for the game. Because after you play the first round, like, you, you basically got it. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 not, it's, a, it's a lot at first. And one of the criticisms I have is that there's not uh, player guides. Um, you have to look at the rule book the whole time. There's one player guide in the rule book, but, like, not something that's succinct enough for us to just have in front of us. Like, okay, here are my options. So you kept having to go back to the rule book. But it keeps the, the after you play the first round, you pretty much got it. But not letting it go into the second round until you can uh, fight each other, I feel like that's helpful in kind of leveling the player playing field for new versus experienced players. And what's nice then is you still can't even have combat then unless both of you have four, which is the max number of hoplites in that second round, in your regions. So even if you wanted to attack your opponent, they would have to have enough people in one region for you to do that. And it's likely that they will, because the more hoplites you have in a region, the more you receive from when you collect tribute from that region. So it's kind of nice, though. But yes, I agree with that. And yeah, there is one player aid on the back of the rulebook that's like a very detailed one, which is nice to have. But the one on the player boards, each player has their own player board to keep track of resources. It just names the action. It doesn't give you any other detail aside from the four of them that cost a prestige to do. And so there's no, like, there's no middle ground. I feel like this game does need a middle ground player aid. I want just enough to show me what this does, but I don't want so much that it's the back of the rule book. I don't want to keep referring to the rule book like crazy. Yeah. And it wasn't too bad. There was only a few things. And by the end of it, we were good. Um, it's one of those games where you could say this game is very complex because there's a lot to choose from and a lot that you can do. However, each individual action really isn't that complicated. Uh, after the first round, you've got it. Once you get through that first round of all those actions and stuff, it's pretty simple. Movement will make sense. Uh, there's some different ways you can uh, like strategize within even moving. And so once you get used to it, though, it's a very cool game. I really like it. Uh, it's one of those that I need to play again to really get a better grasp of. But so far, just based on theme, the way it plays, and kind of the unique nature within my collection, I think that this is definitely something that I'm going to want to get to the table several more times. One of the things that this game really does that happens a lot in board games, but I find that I always really enjoy it, is that every single piece of this game, aside from combat, is open information. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So for the topic today, we wanted to talk a little bit about open information in gaming. Because I really enjoy open information games. It gives you a nice like, way to strategize off of what your opponent is doing. And I know in the past we've discussed like watching your opponents, playing based on what they're doing. But there's something about this game where every little single thing they're doing, how many resources they have, how many points they have, their cities they control, it's all right there in front of you. And I know, like I said, a lot of games do this, but for some reason in this game, that mixed with the number of turns and like actions you can take really makes it feel like just everything's open. Yes. And I really like that because I like this psychological side of it where you try to figure out what the other person is trying to do, like what their strategy is. Um, so games like this where everything is open information, I mean, you don't have the deception. Those, a lot of games, I like the deception, but I like being able to look over and see what Delton's doing and say, okay, what is he going to do next? Is it by what he's collecting? Is he trying to uh, go over into my territory and take over my things? Is he collecting um, enough? Does he have like the 
the six silver that he needs in order to convert to this territory that we're both trying to go after or both moving towards to take over? Like, what is he doing? And so I feel like that keeps your interest between turns as well. Because a lot of times whenever the information is hidden, like, whenever it's not your turn, you're just kind of like, well, I can kind of suspect what they're doing, but otherwise I'm just going to, like, sit here and watch the board and wait. But with this one, I really feel like with the open information, it gives you the opportunity to try and figure out the other person in that time. So it feels like there's a lot less downtime when games are like that. It really, really does. This game does really well with it. Uh, it, The only thing, like I said, that doesn't have open information with this game is the combat. And that's only because you draw your little hand of cards and you play and you try to match it. But that's so simplified. And like, it's combat. I don't think combat should be 100% open information or else it'd be kind of boring. Like if you had a war game, I mean, I get, I don't even know how Warhammer really works, but if you just had units together and you're like, I shoot, cool, you shot me, but they throw dice in, which is kind of like a, a, a hidden information in a way, even though it's random and cards are kind of the same way, except you have the choice of picking which one. So I feel like if they didn't have cards, they had like a simpler, I have more than you, therefore I win. It would be boring. Yes. Like there would be no, nothing to consider during combat. But with the cards, I mean. You just get them, you draw three random cards at the beginning of combat. It's not like you are holding these cards back, waiting three or four rounds yeah. for you to play them. I have collected this card, which is an instant win. It's not anything like that. It's like you get the luck of the draw. If you have the resources who support those cards, that's great. If you don't, you can't use them. Yeah, exactly, because there's only the one that loses you a prestige. But it's nice because there's one, and when you use it for that combat, and if you win with it, that's only one hoplite you've killed, so you keep going. Yeah. And if the defender has the one that's an instant defend like it matches everything then they've used it and it's over so it's like that could be a you know i've held this for this combat but once combat's over you discard all your cards they shuffle back in right and that's it so that's not too big of a deal but yeah i like that you can see where your people are going see what they're going for your opponent and it's just i don't know this game has a different element of well how many people are in your city so if i want to take your city you have these i need to do this or send the political guy but how many coins do i have to spend and you start thinking of every little thing and you realize how open the game is to actions and different uh, ways you can try to win. They're open, but they're contingent on the other player as well. Because if one yes. player has taken some of those actions, then you can't. If, I have, if I've taken control of a city and I collect the resources from it, I do my, um, what is it called? Collecting tribute. Collecting tribute. And then Delton takes over that city. He can't collect tribute from it that round. Not till the next round because it's already been taken. Yeah, so you can block your opponent from doing some things. And so if you see someone going for something, you can try to cut them off. But then that's when you start getting a bunch of hoplites in one region. You might mm -hmm. have combat over it. And so it's really interesting because you can. You can watch what they're doing and try to either respond or go do something else to beat them to it. And I feel like there's a lot of great games like that, like Patchwork. Patchwork is open information. That's true. Patchwork is all open information. You can see what's coming and what's gone. You can kind of try to figure out what they're going to do. Oh, you're going to need that little piece right there. It looks like the cross. Haha, <laughs> I'm going to take it because I'm a jerk. And also, I don't have any buttons, so I have to take it. That's accurate. That's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a ton of games with open information, but there's something about seeing every single thing that's happening that makes a game feel like you can have more strategy. And sometimes that may not be the case. Your opponent's just hiding something from you. But even then, it just feels so much more tense. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that. I think in this game where it's representing the Peloponnesian War, an actual historical war, I think it's it's worth it because everything was kind of out in the open, and I just think it's a neat uh, a neat approach to this game. Just something else I enjoy about it, really. Yeah, 
I can't really think of anything else to say about open information aside from just I like it. I enjoy well, it. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I play a lot of Magic the Gathering and you have a whole hand of cards that nobody knows about. You know, like you there's all kinds of hidden role games and stuff where information's always hidden and those games are just as fun. But open information just it fit with this game and it's part of what I like about this game and I think it's worth looking into if you haven't played a lot of games like that where everything's out in the open, try it out because it it's it's tough but it's also very fun. I also feel like that's the kind of games we were raised with, like Connect Four, mm-hmm. Monopoly, uh, Sorry, Sorry, uh, Life. Yeah, they're all open information games. Like all the games that we played, the Milton Bradley and the Hasbro mm-hmm. are all open information. So it's like the the concealed information is something that's actually new. You yeah, think about it. That's very true. I haven't thought about that. Yeah, that's really interesting. But it's just they're good. You know, I like it. Maybe that's what got me into psychology early is watching my, my sibling and my, my cousins play all these life games. Like, what are you doing? I'm going to try and guess what you're going to do next. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yes. Because <laughs> that's the type of game to do it. I need to rewrite my autobiography now. There you go. Right, and start off with that. When I was watching them play life. I watched their life flash before my eyes. Oh, my gosh. So lame. <laughs> so lame. I think with that, we should move to the question. And now, join us for a Malt House Games Podcast special bite-sized question. The question for this episode is, what is your strategy when learning a new game? Because we've thought about this, and we've talked about playing a new game, how you approach it, but there's always one thing that's similar in the way you play all new games if they have something similar to another game. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So Haley, go ahead and answer and it will make sense, I think. <laughs> okay. I, I was so confused by what you said just yep. now. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> okay. I was saying that when you start a new game, if it's similar to something you've played before, oh. you're going to adopt that strategy. Yes. Okay. That's what I was saying. I said it in a horrible way. <laughs> I was so like, I came up with the question, but I was so focused on trying to figure I, out what the hell I, you were saying. I, I think we need I more coffee. <laughs> we need more coffee is what it is. Oh, so yes, what is your strategy in a new board game that you've never played before? It's your first play. What is your main goal generally? So generally my main goal is if there is feeding people, I do that first. That is what I always do. So with, with um, Paulus, Polis, fight for the hegemony, hegemony. 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 There you go. Uh, like I, I collected food first. And same thing with Agricola. Agricola I've only lost once, and that was to Mac. And I've played it a lot. But every time that I play, I always go for food first. And so I feel like that's been the most helpful strategy is anytime that I need to feed my people, that is the top thing that I need to I need to do. And I feel like that's most effective for me. What about you? So I wish I would do that because that's part of why I lost Polis. And I should say, at the end of a round of Polis, if you have zero prestige after people are awarded prestige, then you lose. And that's what happened. I earned zero prestige. I was at zero prestige prestige and i lost so it's fine whatever uh but yes i wish i would have done that my strategy is always just to try to figure the game out that just isn't really a strategy but i find that when i play a game and it's like you have to feed your people i'm like cool i'll do that at some point it's really trying to figure out what the game wants me to do like i always feel like every game has a goal that they want their players to go for and in this game i was having a hard time figuring out like yes you have to feed your people but Is it wanting you to save up enough perishable goods that when they get halved, you still have some so you can trade them for more wheat or silver later? Is it wanting you to take over more territories and 
try to maintain that or have fewer territories with higher populations. Like, I was trying to find what it was. So I, my strategy is not really a strategy. It's basically trying to figure the game out. Well, what is, like, the, the one thing that you always do? So, like, me, I always go in and feed the people. Like, uh, what is something that you always do? Over, or, overextend. Or do overextend? I always <laughs> overextend in games. New games. Every single new game, it's like, hey, you can take over this, this, that. And I'm like, friggin' sweet. I only leave one defender behind. It'll be fine. And that's how I look at it every time. Acquisition disorder. And yeah, and it's terrible because I'm like, I can take that. No one's on it. I'll take this. No one's got that. You know what? I'll take that too. And then I'm overextended. I have no defenses. I can't afford anything. I've spent all my money, so I can't have any wheat to feed my people and I lose. <laughs> so I don't really have a strategy that I do in every new game. I'm just trying to figure it out. And in doing so, I always do something stupid like overextending. It was like a metaphor for your bachelor pad when you were 21 years old and yep. you had like... 400 million of those, uh, what are those little figurines? Uh, the ones My that hero you, clicks? Hero clicks. You had like a bajillion hero clips. You acquired so many hero clips. But the only thing in, that was in your refrigerator was a jar of mayonnaise and a half-eaten package of bacon. And some Guinness. No! I always had Guinness in my fridge. Uh, there were times where you had none. We had to, I, I went with you for beer runs yeah. all the time. But yes, I do. I overextend into things. I dabble a little bit, and I, I, I get my toes wet. And then I go, I'm going to go try the other water. And then I go to the other water and I dip my toes in that water. And I just do that forever. And that's my life. <laughs> Except for board games. That seems to be the one thing I've dove into. And I guess the podcast now that we've actually fully dived in, dove in, dove, dove in. Yeah. Swum in. Swum in. Swum in. We swum in. But yes, that's my strategy. Lose. That's really, <laughs> that's what it comes down to. No. You, like, I know that we joke that I win a lot. But Delton, Delton wins a lot too. Oh, do you want me to fact check this? Because that's oh. wrong. Oh, okay. Hold on. Here, we're going to... Well, okay. I'll tell you that. First plays, I typically win. First first plays. Like, first play of a game. But after that, it, it kind of balances out some more. I think, anyway. But first plays, for some reason, I typically, typically win. Because I feed my people. Just like Steve Miller Band told me to do. Gotta feed the people. Can't get enough to eat. Uh, Yeah. All right. So... I have pulled up my Board Game Stats app, which, by the way, I highly recommend the Board Game Stats app with all the extra content. If you're a nerd. If you're a nerd, because it's worth it. Do you want me to look up two-player games or just in general, I guess? I guess just in general, just okay. with us. So just in general, if you go to players and you look at me and you, well, I guess that's the hard part. I don't think I can sort just me and you playing games. Out of all of our total plays... Actually, we have a tied win percentage in my phone at 37%. Hey. The highest win percentage in my phone of friends we play with is Mac at 53%. Jiminy Christmas. Uh, Elijah's at 50. We've played, it looks like, 10 games with Elijah. Kyle is the next at 41. Tyler's got 36. Who has the lowest? The lowest percentage? Well, it depends on number of games you want to look at. Um... <laughs> we've only played seven games with Gates and she's at 14, but we've played 44 games with uh, Cass and Cass is at 27. Sorry, Cass. So it just depends on, you know, how you look at it and stuff. Cause it's not, it's, it's a percentage based on the game number of games they've played, but it's not comparing it like right. okay. proportionally. That's okay. That's what I was wondering. Like proportionately. Yeah. And this is only the games I've recorded, which means we have been, or at least I have been a part of. So you have to consider that as well. But yeah. Here, I'm going to look at just our two-player games. I know this is probably boring for everyone listening. It's exciting for me. Two-player only games. Uh, now, I do play more than you. I've played 312 logged. You've played 271 because I've played with Kyle, a lot with Brian. Right. 
And then yeah. I don't log my two-player games when I play with Kyle or Exactly. Whatnot. So based on that, me having 312 plays, you having 271, I have a 52% and you have a 45. Ah. So, but again, that's not proportional to each other. Yeah. And it sounds like it's probably awfully close. Yeah. But. We were pretty close. I think I, I win more of the first play. Yes. But then you win more games whenever we're playing with other people. I think so. I think so. That's probably accurate. Anyway, I feel like this question's gone on for a decade. <laughs> That's going to have to be where we start to wrap up this episode. The first thing we're going to do is shout out our great Patreon backers, of course. So we're going to give a thank you to Allison, Allen, Jesse, and Catherine. Woo! Thank you, guys. These are the great Patreon backers that back us at a level in which they get a shout out on the podcast. If you would like to be like them and get shout outs on the podcast, on Twitter, during our stream, on video, anything like that, be sure to go to patreon.com slash malthousegames, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games. If you have any questions for us directly, you can always email us at contact at malthousegames.com. You can message us on any social media at malthousegames. You can find me directly at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. If you have any topic you want us to cover, any game for us to look at, or a question you want us to answer, just refer to those contact pieces of information. Before we wrap this episode up, we did want to make a statement in solidarity with everything going on in the world right now. We also want to make a stand on, on the protesting that's been happening all over the United States. No, we are uh, 100% behind the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, what has happened through generations of systemic oppression and racism is atrocious and we want to do all that we can to support the movement and we encourage you all to do the same whether that's through donating to bail bonds to get those protesters out uh joining the protests or just speaking out whenever you see racism happen or you see prejudices happen you know we we all have a voice um we just need to listen and then share those voices so until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Bye. Bye. Bye.